This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 10, and we have a full house this week. Kyle Gauss, Sam Cohn, Dante Colinelli. What's up, guys? So how's our how's everybody doing? Doing good. The boys are back in town. Is what I'm saying. A lot of juice out of the gate, guys. Sam, <laughs> what, what number can you what number can you butcher for us this week? <laughs> what episode is <laughs> what episode is this? I don't want to know. Episode skip, 10. skip over. <laughs> I have a 10 that comes to know. mind right away. Well, I have two tens that come to mind right away. We got just skip over me. <laughs> Jones, Deshaun Jackson. What, Joe? Oh, Deshaun Jackson, good one. Chipper was mine. I was going to say that one. Yeah. That was mine. Kyle, you're aware that a couple of weeks ago, it was season seven, episode eight, and, and Sam called it the Teddy Williams episode. Yeah. Teddy Williams wears number nine. It's yeah, like yeah. the most iconic Red Sox player of all time, and Sam butchered it. Yeah. I mean, I think I sent you guys a screenshot, but by like sheer luck, I like almost never listen to the scoop uh, when I'm not on it. <laughs> but I had the guy, I was commuting last week, and like I, I didn't even listen to the finished product because it hadn't been turned around yet. I listened to the raw audio. I was like, yes. you know what? Let's get in there. And you guys <laughs> talked about that last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was. Yes. I would imagine every episode for the rest of the season, John will bring it up. <laughs> yeah, probably. Before we started recording, John just told us a story that he prefaced by saying, I know I've told this story before. And then he spent three minutes telling the story. That's, that's so, <laughs> so yeah. here we are. It's, not, it's classic me, right? Like you're very self-aware, at least. Like you know that you're doing it, but you still can't help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Dante had heard the, the, uh, no, it was new for me. It was new for me. It was. I, I had not heard it. I was I was very, very interested in John's story about meeting the drummer from Smash Mouth outside of PNC Park. I, I was here for that. Yeah. Well, before before we John, get too far into John's love of Smash Mouth, uh, Smash fa- Mouth famous Mouth. famous number 10s, who's the Billy Madison connection? I have no idea. Uh, Billy Madison? The, cur- the cursive scene in Billy Madison. See, I've seen Happy Gilmore way more times than Billy Yeah, don't care. Uh, he has the 1.2 Zs. He does, she has him to spell Phil Rizzuto, and he, he just can't do the Zs on it. Yeah, Phil Rizzuto. Yankees. Number 10. I Googled number 10s. Mo Cheeks. Maurice Cheeks won number 10, right? Did he? I think so. Yes, he did. Correct. Sixers, Mo, Mo Cheeks. Coy Detmer wore number 10. For the I, love, I love the Detmers. Big Detmer guy. Boy, Detmer's- 2003 or whatever, or 2002, McNabb gets injured. Detmer plays one game against the Niners. They win. Like, he gets injured in that game. His elbow, right? Yeah, he, he gets injured in that game. Then they play they play AJ Feely, who's mediocre, and they somehow trade him for a second-round pick. Yeah. Wasn't the Dolphins. Jones. To the Dolphins. Full <laughs> circle, Dante. <laughs> I, I really was hoping you weren't going to pick that up. I really <laughs> Second-round pick. Speaking of picks, that. Eagles got like a top-ten pick and kept the Giants out for just tanking the fourth quarter of a game. It's been a great week of sports. The Braves are in the NLCS. Let's talk Temple. <laughs> Sam put his finger up as if he wanted to make a point, but Kyle just like – I was, right was going to say the first the first number 10 I thought of was Mac Jones, but admittedly I had to Google it, double-check because I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. He's a rookie. Also, every time I this – is, this is also kind of embarrassing – 
every time I say Mac Jones or like type Mac Jones, I accidentally almost type Mac Ryan. Really? Who's on Temple Basketball <laughs> That's a segue if I've ever heard like, it is. Yes. It has happened on multiple occasions, and it just happened. I started to type Ryan. I, had a, I, I don't even think we've up. introduced our guests yet today. Yes. You know, we, that is a great segue. So we actually we have a very, very packed episode for you guys. Uh, uh, the big bulk of it, the big piece of it being our interview with Temple assistant basketball coach Jimmy Fennerty. And uh, there actually is a question about Mac Ryan and they're a new member of the staff. Um, New, along with uh, along with Alan Son, the new uh, the strength and conditioning coach. So we'll be talking to Jimmy uh, about how the team's looking. Recap Temple's uh, a little bit of, of Temple's ugly loss to Cincinnati. Uh, touch a little bit on the Arthur Johnson hire. We got a packed mailbag for you guys. And again, we'll be talking some football, checking in on the how the Owls look at three and three at the midway point of the season. So we got a lot of stuff for you ahead. Uh, but we'll get to this Jimmy Fennerty interview to start things off. Uh, start of the season, less than a month away uh, for the Owls. Uh, about 27 days away, they play University of Maryland Eastern Shore on November 10th, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock at the Leah Corps Center. And then three days later, they will host USC before they head down to the Charleston Classic and then uh, take on Clemson down there. Then they can play Boise State or St. Bonaventure in the next round, and depending on on how things go from there. But uh, Jimmy always uh, gives us great insight. He's been on the scoop in the past, um, so you'll hear a lot of uh, really just a good scan of the roster in this interview here. And of course, uh, unfortunately, Jimmy lost his father, Jim Fennery, a great longtime uh, longtime high school basketball coach, was a, just a um, an incredible coach uh, at Germantown Academy, and, and coached so many. Uh, future great college players and pros. And um, so Jimmy leads off here talking about, you know, the loss of his father back in May. And again, I'll give you a good indication of, uh, you know, the, where the owls are right now, what he's expecting from guys like Jaleel white, what it's meant to have uh, just a more normal off season, some good detail here about Emmanuel Pomo, the wake forest transfer. So we will play this interview for you and uh, react to it on the other side. Temple's basketball season is just around the corner sooner than you guys think, although we're in the midst of football season. And to talk some hoops today, we have uh, one of our favorite guests on the scoop, Temple assistant basketball coach, Jimmy Fennerty. Jimmy always gives us some terrific, terrific insight into the team. And uh, we're thrilled to have him with us again today. Jimmy, how you doing? I'm doing great. How's, uh, how's everything with you guys? Always, always great to be on and, and always great to be checking in here. And I, I know you guys do a great job. So I'm, I'm always excited to hop on here with you guys. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Hey, Jimmy, just to, to start off, I, I would be remiss if, uh, if we didn't uh, pass along once again, our condolences to you and your family on the, on the loss of your father, Jim Fennerty passed away back in May at the age of 71. I was never fortunate enough to meet him, but you know, I don't have to tell you, of course, that just the incredible legacy uh, that he had as a coach. And, uh, and to you, of course, he was an incredible father. And uh, now that we have the chance to catch up with you, I know it's been been a few months. It's never easy. But I mean, just for you to start off, I mean, how are you doing with it? How's your family doing? Yeah, yeah, we're, do we're doing great. I, I think obviously it's a tough time and, and we're doing as as well as we can as a family. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the, the, the thing that just keeps coming back is we were really lucky to have who we did, you know, and just, just having him be the force that he was in our lives and, and just incredibly lucky for the, the 71 years that he got and the 31 that I got with him. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, a tough time, but 
very, very thankful for everything that that, that he has done for me and, and our family and, and, and just for the, the greater community as, as a whole. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. I had heard that you did an incredible job with his eulogy, and I'll kind of put you – in the in the mind of a of a writer here, you know, you had to write about him as a as a, a you know as your father, and he was your coach too. When you have just the type of legacy that that, that he has, and I mean, just I tried to read every tribute I could about him. What where did you start? I mean, what are some of the things that you like? If somebody said, "Hey, Jimmy, I never got the chance to meet your dad," you know, what, what was what was he like as a as a father and a coach? What, I know it's so hard to condense it into a minute, two minutes, whatever. But how did you? How did you try to process that? And what did you, what did you convey to people that day? Ah, absolutely. Well, the, the, the funny part is I think the priest would have preferred it to be one or two minutes. I think I went about 10 to 15. A Catholic, um, a Catholic priest but, being, being tough <laughs> on a eulogy. I'm shocked. Just shocked. So, um, he, uh, yeah, yeah. So he said, yeah, just keep it to like two, three minutes. I said, yeah, okay. And then, then proceeded to do my own thing. So good. Uh, I'm sure good. I'm glad to, you uh, did. Say a couple, couple prayers to, to get, get that one off, off my record there. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, obviously, so the, the, the harder part for me was I had seen my dad do about four or five eulogies. Uh, so, so obviously, every time you're doing it, you're, you're comparing it to that. And um, I was lucky. And it's just another thing that he had paved the way and, and kind of showed you how to do it. Uh, I, what I did, I mean, I tried to, uh, you know, when, when, when he passed away, right, everybody tells you, like, all right, you, you're going to find him, right? Like, you're going to feel him. And, and for so long, I, I didn't. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, I'm looking around. I'm, I went to GA a couple times. And thank God the GA security guys here that let me in at, at 12 o'clock at night just to just to sit in the gym and just to try to remember him and, and feel his presence. And, and, and it went to the Warwick Township Playground where he – Tim Waddington actually used to be a camper there where, where he would run camps and, and just different places that he would go to while you're thinking about what you're going to write. And, and um, I just tried to just – speak from the heart and, and just talk about who he was and, and, and try to capture that and use a little humor in there and, and uh, just, just try to capture who he was. You know what I mean? And, and it was, it was an unbelievable day. There were just so many incredible people that, that showed up. And I mean, I think we, we had standing room only in, in the church there and it was, that's what he deserved. You know what I mean? And it was, uh, it was an honor to be able to, to talk about him and, and, and share, share his life with, with others. So that, that was always, yeah, you know, I, I think I blacked out there for a little bit. I, I don't remember much of it, uh, but uh, I know he was with me that day, and uh, it was a, a special time for, for he and I to share that together uh, at that time. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just to echo what John said, all of our thoughts are obviously with you and your family. But, I mean, this is to segue into um, into basketball. I mean, I think the last time we had you on, on the scoop, you said, hey – Traditionally, people make the biggest jump from year one to year two in basketball when it comes to collegiate basketball. I think we've seen a lot of players at Temple make that jump, whether it's Ramon Moore or, Cle or, or uh, anybody, Cleef Wild, a bunch of guys. So we're looking at this man, this roster. Who do you think has made the biggest jump from last year to this season? You know, I, I'd be. I, I know where this, the question is geared on on freshman to sophomore. Uh, the guy who's had a great summer and fall has been Jake Forrester. Uh, he's got a new uh, mentality. Um, he's grown up a ton um, in terms of his maturity. He's attacking every day. Um, and I think Emmanuel Akpomo there, so Ema's been, been helping him out a lot in terms of 
just battling them every day in a roster as well. But I, I've been I've been impressed with with what Jake has brought so far and, and sort of the the attitude and the maturity that he's brought brought every day. Um, and, and then obviously I, I think Dame Dunn has taken a big step. Obviously last year he had his ups and downs. Uh, there were some high moments, there were some low moments, and I think Dame is focused on on being more consistent um, and being that guy every day. So he, he's been he's been pretty good uh, the last couple of weeks here and, and just taking that next step. So I, we, we've been excited with him as well. Just to follow up on that with Jake, I mean, I, I think you saw you saw improvement last year from the year before where he became more of a consistent scorer. But the one thing that kind of sticks out to people is, hey, 16 games, two assists, right? So how have you kind of worked at maybe – where you as a staff worked and maybe developing that next part of his game, which is facilitating the offense through him at some points. Yeah, I think I think you put him in different scenarios. I think over the last two years we've learned what where Jake succeeds and, and where he sort of struggles and isn't as good at, and you work on those areas. But I think there's other things that we can do to put Jake in better position to help himself and help us. And I think we, we've spent a lot of this summer trying to do different things, whether it's sort of hide behind the defense, uh, doing some different things, screen and roll. Uh, I think if you look at Jake, his points per possession in screen and roll was fantastic, whereas his points per possession in post-ups weren't, weren't nearly where they needed to be. And, and he knows that as well. Um, so, so learning based off of those numbers as well um, and, and sort of working on that post-up game a little bit more, but also putting him in more screen and rolls, putting him in more hide behind the defense, Stealing uh, off the of screen and rolls, doing some different things that way to get him a couple extra buckets that are easy. So that way it, you're not forcing the issue as much through the polls. Jimmy, I want to ask you about uh, about Jaleel White. And I feel like this this question is becoming more and more complicated. But how would you describe Jaleel's game uh, in terms of his growth from last year to this year? How you see him fitting in? How would you describe what he brings to the table? A little bit of everything. Uh, ja is. Some days, I don't know if he knows exactly what he's trying to accomplish out there, but he's getting a whole heck of a lot done. Um, and he's just, he brings such an energy, such a toughness, uh, such a just a length and competitiveness. Uh, perfect story here. So we, I won't use the exact way that he said this, but we're, uh, we're in practice and uh, we, we had been going for a couple of weeks and it had been a little harder practices and, and guys were a little tired and, and it's a Friday, and we're going to scrimmage all day Saturday, right? So we're doing it, and, and we get to the end of practice. We always do USA shooting to end practice. Just to, it gives us a number. It gives us a challenge. And coach goes, all right, USA shooting. And we'd only gone for like an hour and 15 minutes um, and put a lot of stuff in, didn't do a whole lot of playing. And, and Job pulls me to the side, like while, right where we're about to start USA shooting, and he's like, coach, what the heck? What are we doing? And I was like, what do you mean, Job? Like, he, was like, he was like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, what's wrong, Job? He's like, we need to compete. Like, I, I want to go kill these guys. I'm ready to go. Like, he's just got such a competitive fire to him that, like, he's he's just going to make a ton of plays, especially defensively. Offensively downhill, he, he's terrific at, at getting to the rim. Um, he's making better decisions with the ball. He can really do a whole lot of things. Um, and, and he's just got such a confidence, such a toughness about him. Uh, you really, I mean, if you're looking for a spot to put him, it's really anywhere. Uh, I think he could play one, at the, I think he play one through four. And I think if you wanted to play really small, I think he has no problem guarding five. Um, he's just got such a length and such a toughness, and, and he's just he's uh, he's he's got a, a lot to give um, every time he steps on the floor. Now he's young, um, and he's going to have his ups and downs, and, and we got to keep him healthy and, and watch that knee. But uh, Ja is 
is he's, he's got such a competitiveness that it just carries over. Um, and that's been, that's been really a, a nice, not, a, I wouldn't say a nice surprise, but it's been a nice addition to, to practice and it's going to be a heck of an addition to when we start playing games as well. Um, I have no problem throwing him on, on anybody we're, we're going to play. So. Jimmy, uh, without a normal off season or practice schedule last year, uh, Aaron had talked about how hard it was to really implement and teach concepts to the new guys. So now, you know, having this off season, having a, a, a real off season, I mean, we're not fully out of COVID obviously, but you know, you guys are in a, a better, more cohesive situation now than you were last year. So now having what resembles more of a true off season, how has that changed and how different do uh, practices look now? Yeah. You can get a lot more detailed. Uh, you don't have to rush as quickly. Uh, so if a, if a couple guys need some more help, sort of learning some different concepts, you can go back to it the next day, the next couple of days, whereas opposed to last year, it's like, all right, Hey, we got, we got 12 practices. We play NJIT in, in 14 days. All right. How are we going to do this? You know what I mean? And we're, we're rushing through it, trying to add different things. Uh, it, it's, it's been great to have a summer. Uh, it's been great to have a fall. And, and we actually, so because we went a lot of team stuff in the summer, we spent the first probably three weeks of the fall doing a lot of individual stuff. Um, so more shooting, more working out of concepts, more three-on-oh, three-on-three, two-on-two, playing out of two-man games, doing some different stuff to sort of build guys up uh, so we could kind of go whole part whole a little bit uh, in our approach. And I think that's that's been really helpful for our guys. You see it, uh, hopefully you see it when we start playing, but we see it every day in practice. Uh, the, the offense is a lot crisper. Our pace is a lot faster because guys aren't thinking as much. Um, and, and that's been that's been a great part offensively. Defensively, uh, the effort and, and consistency was always been there with that. But for us now, it's it's more, all right, now we can, instead of just having one base defense, now we can, all right, now we have a denial defense. Now we have a, a all right, we're going to do some more one, two, two. We're, we're, now we're going to work on switching a little bit more because we have great size, length, and versatility. Uh, you can work on switching a little bit more and being aggressive in that in that switch. And I think for us, our defense is going to have to create some offensive points for us. Uh, so doing some different things to build that habit uh, of sort of turning people over. And, and that's, I mean, I, I just talked about it with Ja. That's that's going to be a, a big piece for us is trying to turn people over a little bit more. First year as a program, uh, our last year uh, with the personnel that we had, we couldn't do it as much. I think we're much more athletic. We're definitely longer. Uh, and I think we're a little tougher as well. Um, Jimmy, you mentioned like just having more time there to spend on defense, playing some one, two, two. And you mentioned like, you like the team's length better. You know, that almost every fan out there, Aaron McKee comes in the program says, Oh, he played for John Janey that I, I want to see him play more zone. I want to see them replicate the matchup, which you know is really hard to do. But when it comes to uh, Aaron's philosophy on zone and your philosophy on zone, and I think you kind of just answer part of the question here. Do you guys feel a little bit more comfortable playing it now with just more time to teach and maybe having more ideal length with yeah, this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've, we, uh, I think for us, it's, it's something that, that we'll take advantage of this year a little bit more, uh, especially in the full court um, and trap out of it a little bit and then fall back into it. Uh, that's something that, that we, we've talked about a lot more. And we'll be able to, to do a little bit more. And also, the, the length that we have gives us an opportunity to, to do some different things out of that, uh, that that we may not have been able to, to do a ton of last year, uh, just because of the length that we didn't have. Um, I think that's that's where a guy like Sage, a guy like Ja, 
you throw Zach in that mix, a guy who's, who's got longer uh, and, and a little bit more quicker anticipation from those guys than the guys we had. Not to say that, that that's better or worse, just different, and allows us to do different things with with ourselves defensively here. Just going back to the front court, uh, you mentioned the step forward that Jake Forrester has taken over the summer, but uh, you added another big man in Emmanuel Ocpomo. How does his game compare to that of the rest of the big man in terms of how he fits into the rotation of Jake Sage, Nick Jordan, or Ashland Parks? So Ema has tremendous length. Uh, he, he is he's really hard to score on in the post. Uh, some of that has made Jake better, um, like I said. Uh, but he's also, for, for us, He's got a great physicality. He's not afraid to hit somebody. He's not afraid to bump into somebody. I think in our league, you need a a five who is just physical, who's tough, who can rebound, who can make the the other big have a hard day. Uh, that's that's what he missed, uh, and that's that's why we took him. Uh, we took him because he uh, just watching his film from Wake Forest. He's incredibly physical. Uh, our guys sometimes think he's too physical. Uh, but but that's a good thing, uh, and he, he's gonna he's gonna create a give us a, another push behind Jake. Whereas Jake is he, he's not necessarily as physical as Ema, and, and you get a nice mix up where where Jake's maybe Jake's in foul trouble or Jake uh, it's a guy who's a little bit bigger. Ema can go out there and, and sort of slow him down a little bit with his size, his toughness, and his length. You know, Jimmy, one of the new guys you guys have coming in, Zach Hicks from Camden Catholic. I, I know there's been talk about, hey, with the amount of people you guys have returning, with everyone taking advantage of the extra uh, COVID year, there's a possibility of him redshirting. Are you guys still kind of going down that path of potentially redshirting him, or is it more just, hey, if he's earned the minutes, let's play him? Uh, yeah, I think it, 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 right now I think Zach's been he's been really good. He, he's he made shots for us. He has a much better basketball feel than, than I thought, and I had seen him a lot uh, in the summers. But it, his basketball IQ is is very good. He does a lot of things instinctually that that uh, plays that that we think and we see. But he, he sees them a little bit before us. Uh, that's been the that's been the refreshing part. He's actually and he's worked on his handle quite a bit, so he he can put it down and get in the paint and make plays uh, even better than than we thought. Uh, and that's that's been a, a great part for him. And, and yeah, I don't think anything is set in stone right now with with our lineup, with any of that stuff. Uh, I think it's all still still early. We got two scrimmages coming up here in the next couple of weekends, so I, I think that's going to determine a whole lot more of of the lineup questions and and, and that sort of thing. Jimmy, how does Heisier Miller fit into the backcourt? Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of attention paid to him. He's a, a local guy coming out of Newman Gretti. I know you guys are excited about him, but what's his path to seeing minutes as a true freshman this year at the point or in the backcourt? Yeah, we're asking him a lot. Uh, I think it's it's really hard for a freshman to transfer in the, uh, transfer from high school to college basketball, uh, but he, he's taking it all in stride. And we're throwing a lot on his plate by asking him to to handle a team every day in practice and run a team and, and get him into offense and, and manage personalities and, and all the things that a good point guard does and the great temple point guards have done for years. And I think Fabe's got a chance to, to do that. And he's, he's taken a lot of steps uh, early on in, in his career and learned a ton. And he's come a really long way since he first came here. And, and I don't mean that in, he started in a bad place. I mean that in, he's just, he keeps getting better and better and more confident out there and more comfortable leading a team. And, and that's, that's been the, 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 the point of emphasis for him is just, all right, hey, what are we running, Fabe? Let's talk to the team. Huddle them up. 
get them going. All right, what are we? All right, here's the the time scoring situation. We do situations every day and getting him to learn our playbook from that perspective. Uh, and it, Faith came in right away. He came in and, and he came in trying to take somebody's minutes. And that's that's been the best part about him. He's got a competitiveness. He's got a toughness to him. He's got a great attitude. Uh, he can he can hype you up in, in a matter of seconds. Uh, just just talking about anything. He, he may be going to lunch and he'll have you thinking it's going to be the best lunch of his life. So. Uh, he's got a great personality to him, and I think that's going to carry over to our guys. Our guys have have respected him from day one, and I think that's sometimes with freshmen, especially at that point guard position, it's it's always hard for older guys to to look at a guy like that coming in and and taking leadership from him, and and our guys have definitely done that. So that's been the, the great part for us. You know, Jimmy, we've talked a lot about the players, but from a staff perspective, there was a fair amount of turnover this season with Mark Huber going to your your old spot up at Lafayette and Brady Welsh going to Purdue. Um, how have you kind of seen Mac Ryan, who really wasn't gone for that long, and Alan Sun kind of adjust their new roles and, and blend into the, the staff? Uh, it's been seamless. Uh, those guys are great. Uh, Mac was always uh, a valuable part to our program, and, and he and I can sort of uh, – see eye to eye especially coming back as, as a grad assistant and what uh, from being a grad assistant and what that means and, uh but max max been great alan has been has been fantastic as well he's just it really meshes the guys he's got a, they both have different personalities than, than mark and brady and mark and brady did a phenomenal job we're really, obviously really happy for for them and, and what they're able to do brady gets a chance to go back home and uh be a little bit closer to, to mom and dad and, and to still do what he loves and, and mark gets a chance to, to take that next step in his career Obviously, the, with last year, with between Caleb Battle's injury and Damian Dunn's injury, the two of them didn't get to play a whole lot of basketball together. Obviously, the two of them, adding Jeremiah to that backcourt trio, um, are pretty prominent pieces of your offense. How, what have you seen from, I guess, specifically the way that Caleb and Dame have built chemistry and been able to play together uh, over the summer and kind of in practice and how those two have built the chemistry along with Jeremiah in that backcourt? And what are your expectations for those three? Yeah, that's been huge. So we've tried to make sure that those guys play on the same team and practice a ton. Uh, just, just to build that familiarity with each other, to learn how to play off each other. I think both guys are going to make each other better uh, just being out there. Uh, where KB more, uh, is going to get more open shots and Dame is going to get more space to do what he does best. So that, that's, been, that's been great. It's been great. We got a couple of, uh, couple of mailbag questions here for you. If you, if you have some time, these are from uh... – yeah. These are from screen names from our message board. Uh, the first question here comes to the screen name Temple J. Uh, Temple J's question is, who are the best shooters on the team, and what is the starting five when defense is the priority? All right, best shooters on the team. I hope our guys aren't listening to this because they're, they're going to get mad at me. But uh, I would say Zach and KB, probably the, the, the two best there. Uh, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Colin Daly because uh, he, he shoots it about as well as anybody in the country. And, and then the, the lineup when the defense is, is uh, the, the priority, uh, I think we could throw a lot of different lineups out there defensively, depending on who, who we're playing. Uh, and, and I think it, you got any mix of uh, J. Will, uh, Dame, uh, Ja, Nick or Sage, Ema, I, I think those guys have, have really taken to the defensive end. I think you could throw, uh, I mean, you could throw Fave in there interchangeably. And KB's done a much better job defensively, too. I think that's been an emphasis of his, uh, along with uh, keeping up his rebounding numbers that, that he put up last year, which were obviously terrific. So that, that's, been, that's been important for us. 
The next question comes from the screen name Esther Boyer. Esther Boyer's question is, what are the program's plans to help our players with name, image, and likeness? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's been the, the, the big buzzword around, around our program here for the last couple months. But uh, what we've done is we have a couple different apps. Uh, we're going to do some financial literacy stuff, uh, working through some different things like that. I can't really say a whole lot about it. Uh, but it, it, we've we've done I think we've done a, a good job. Our guys have taken advantage of the local market, and, and I think looking into some things beyond that is going to be important here for for the next couple months. Uh, that, that's that's going to be really important for those guys. So, uh, next question comes from the screen name HBG Al. Um, you've touched on a, a little bit of this. Uh, the questions are what what area has the staff keyed upon the most to improve this season? And there's a follow-up here about I see Miller. I'll get to that in a second, but um, yeah. What have you guys keyed upon the most to improve this, this season? I'm sure there's several aspects, but maybe, I don't know, maybe one of them. Defensively protecting against the three point line, uh, doing some more to uh, discourage standstill threes has been big. We, we gave up a ton of standstill threes last year and we got killed on it. So uh, running guys off the line, better defensively against the three and then uh, offensively playing with better pace. And, and that doesn't mean going crazy and, and just running around w without a purpose. It, it means harder cuts, uh, more sprinting to screens, things of that nature to get the ball moving a lot faster. So we're not constantly playing against a set defense. And, and sometimes that may mean sacrificing some sort of one-on-one -on -one, trying to beat your guy and, and giving yourself up a little bit more offensively. That's been a big emphasis for us. And I think you'll see that early on. A, he's got a follow-up question here about Hysir Miller, and you just you just talked about Fabe, but he, what's been talked about a lot in the past is that he could come in. A lot of people said he could be a he could be a culture changer in terms of just you know. I think one of the things that you guys have said that attracted to attracted uh, you guys to him in the past is obviously he's a great basketball player, but he's really tough and he's a bit of an old soul and he's really focused. It might sound like a basic question, but how much of that and how much of his makeup and his attitude just to kind of maybe try to get the, the essence of HPG uh, Al's question here to kind of further this a little bit. How much of that helps him to be maybe more ready to play for you guys or be part of the team than the average freshman? Absolutely. That's that's huge. I think there's a toughness piece that I think toughness is always going to translate. Toughness is always going to give yourself a chance. To be on the floor, and I think, and I know we talked about this on on the on the show in the past. Uh, after our first year, that was a big emphasis for us. So getting a guy like Ja, getting a guy like Faye, getting a guy like Sage, getting a guy like Jeremiah, guys who who bring uh, the, the guys we had weren't, uh, but guys who who were playing, don't care what your rank, we're gonna go out there. That's been a big emphasis for us, and and Faye, Faye definitely brings that. He brings that and he brings it. He, he raises the level of our practice, all those guys, do, uh, to, to, to get us to another level and really compete against each other every day. I think we've had some incredibly uh, competitive practice. As much, uh, probably the, in 90 as, as being as competitive as, as we ever had. The next question here comes from the screen name What What to You. Uh, part of it's about Jaleel White. You, you talked a lot about, about Jaleel White already. And he says, how have Julia White and Nick Jordan looked so far? So maybe we'll focus this one a little bit more on Nick Jordan. You mentioned Nick a little bit earlier. Obviously, he, he flashed a little bit for you guys last year in a limited season, shot the ball well, started a few games for you. Um, what kind of strides you know, has he made? What have you seen from him in practice so far? 
absolutely. I think with Nick being that same guy every day, uh, he's got a great basketball mind. He's really cerebral. He runs the floor about as well as anybody. Uh, and for us, that's been that's been huge. Getting that, getting him out, putting the ball in his hands a little bit more on the perimeter, uh, getting us into offense a little bit. And he he's a mismatched nightmare. I think him and Sage both pose really interesting mismatch capabilities in the sense that Nick, they both can stretch you. Uh, they both can take you down to the post and score a little bit. They both can have the ball in their hands and, and get in a gap and, and sort of kick and make it, make another guy better. That's been, that's been the nice part about both those guys. But Nick, he's a guy I think improved the most out of anybody last year uh, during the season and, and taking that same jump here from whatever today is October 12th to uh, November 12th is going to be just as important. And he's a guy who I think is going to be a big piece for us over the next four years here. And that's a couple questions here from the, the screen name to you, Alice fan 2004. Um, maybe this is pertaining to, you know, having a new uh, athletic director now, Arthur Johnson. First question here is what is a specific area you would want some more help or support with from either, uh, either the athletic department or the school itself? That's a great question. Uh, I think for us, uh, I think we've they've really invested in Aaron McKee uh, over the last couple of years, and they, they help us out as uh, whenever they can. And, and I think we've been lucky with the support that we have, and I know that's definitely going to continue. Uh, I'm very excited about the, the people that we have in place and, and the opportunities that that we're going to get here over the next couple couple of months, weeks, and, and years. And that's something we're we're excited about. So I think for us, I think you always you always want you always want more, right? You get greedy, but I, I do think we we've, we've had a tremendous amount of support, and we're going to continue to to hopefully get that. I know that, and and excited to uh, to have the fans be able to get back and sort of see all the new things that that we've had, that we've added, and uh, getting a new jumbotron and, and doing some different things that way that that we're pretty excited about. So hopefully you guys can can see that as well. Second question here is that the league released its preseason all-conference teams today. Who do you think is a guy or guys from the team that could end up on that list at the end of the season? I think we got a couple. I think uh, KB, Dame, uh, I thought Jay Wills should have made a team last year. I thought he, he got uh, he sort of uh, forgotten with the season that he had. And then, obviously, I think you would be nice to see Jake. And I know I talked about him taking that step. I think he's got a chance to be one of the top three or four centers in our league. And if he can be consistent every day and, and be the, the, the guy that we know he can, I think he's got a chance to be that guy as well. So, but I, I would think that if we had an all defensive team, I, I know Ja would be a guy who, who would absolutely be on it. Uh, and I know Jeremiah and him, I think they, they both want to compete against each other and win defensive player of the year. They talk about it all the time. So having those two guys on there would, would be great. Final question here from TU Owls fan 2004. Favorite place to get pizza on campus? I'm a Philly style guy. To be honest, really? I'm a Philly style guy. Yes, I, 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 that's my spot. That's my spot. So uh, I've been to, been to Philly style probably a little too much. Uh, we got our team meals here after breakfast. So I haven't been there as much, but, and I've been on the road a lot, but uh, that's, that's the, uh, that's my spot. That's my spot. I'm a Philly style guy. So I, I'm sure Rashford Parks gets some sort of, kickback from that with it or i'd probably can't talk about that but um with, with, his, with the nil deal stuff or uh, i think a couple of our guys have some stuff with them so um hopefully i just just incriminate myself into uh into endorsing them as a product so i apologize if i did but uh philly style is my spot endorsing the brand i like it uh last minute that question here i'm going to try to condense this a little bit um 
there's like a, a couple of questions here. The screen name is B Devon Four, um, and he's saying this year's roster offers more lineup diversity. Uh, the Air McKee has had since taking over with the rebounding prowess we saw from Caleb Battle last season and a small sample size. Could we see more small ball positionless lineups with that type of flexibility where, where you guys could emphasize pace a little bit more? Absolutely. 100%. Something we talk about every day. I think we we're, you're going to see that a ton. Uh, I think, it, and, and the guys are going to determine that uh, by who's playing well and, and who we're playing at the same time. Uh, that may be a really good lineup against a team like Villanova. That may not be as good of a lineup against a team like Houston. But I think for us, that that's going to be big, is, is being versatile, using that to our advantage, and being able to do a lot of different things, uh, versatility-wise, defensively, and offensively, to be honest with you, in terms of taking advantage of mismatches. So if you have Nick Jordan or Sage Tober playing the five, and you got to come out there and guard them on the perimeter because they can make shots, I think that's – that's where you become really hard to guard. And, and now they have to adjust in other ways. And when they do that, that, that means somebody else is going to be open. So taking advantage of that, using what we have to our advantage and putting guys in position to do what they do best is, is something we've spent a lot of time working on and trying to figure out here. Jimmy, one last question for you, because there's a, there's a follow-up here from, from, uh, from the subscriber. And he's talking about a little bit of the same thing. And he mentions Quincy Adam, McCoy, and you guys have so many – so many wings on the team, right? With, with length and athleticism and Quincy came in, Bill is a really good shooter. And we can see that he can clearly shoot the ball. And as a freshman, again, just like anybody on the team last year, it was a very abbreviated season. Uh, he kind of played in fits and starts. Um, the fan base was pretty excited about him coming in and there's, there's more competition this year, you know, um, like Fabe doesn't necessarily play his position, but you know, you're bringing in his Zach Hicks and other guys are developing. Is this a big year for, for Quincy to kind of really just fight for minutes and show what he can do? It is. It is. And Q's had a, had a really good summer. I made, made a ton of shots. We, we had a scrimmage uh, in the inner squad, and, and Q actually led us in scoring uh, the last day before our guys went home for summer. And, and, and so for him, it's going to be about coming in there and competing every day for those minutes. And that's something that I think he can do and, and something that, that we're going to need him to do uh, because he brings such a – he's got such great length. He can really shoot the ball. And, and he's got a good feel as well. So hey, keep building that out for him and, and keep working and keep getting better and staying healthy. Uh, that's going to be important. Jimmy, thanks so much for, uh, for spending some time with this. Greatly appreciate it. The Owls open their season on November 10th against Maryland Eastern Shore, uh, and then things pick up uh, from there. So uh, we're looking forward to the season, looking forward to, to covering some more basketball. They have a game three days after that against USC and then head down to the Charleston Classic and things will be off and running from there. Jimmy, again, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again down the line. Absolutely, fellas. Appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to seeing everybody out, man. Let's let's pack, let's pack the Leah Corps Center for that, uh, that USC and, and UMBS game there. We'd love to have you guys out. All right, so big thank you again to, to Jimmy Fennerty for joining us here on The Scoop. Again, like we said, always some great insight. Um, guys, a lot, to, a lot to take away from this interview. Again, obviously, a few weeks, uh, still have a few weeks before the start of the season, uh, again, against Maryland Eastern Shore on November uh, 10th. And then again, three days later, as I said, the Owls take on USC at the Leocor Center before they head down to the Charleston Classic on November 18th. But again, basketball season is is closing in on us, which makes Sam happy. Uh, what'd you guys take away from the conversation with Jimmy? Um, I, 
this is sounds weird because it feels like we talked about this a year ago but it sounds like um from listening to him and talking to other people that the jaleel white hype might be real um it seems like it's kind of hard for some people to talk about him you you heard it with uh, caleb battle today at media day too a lot of people are kind of holding back their excitement but i feel like there's legitimate excitement there there's legitimate versatility and it'll be interesting just to see him finally on the court and i don't think anything jimmy said today takes away from that excitement of that especially the story he told about how like, no, I don't want to practice in. I want to go out there. I want to kill him. I want to do these things. I want to, I want to compete. This is a guy that hasn't played basketball really in over a year. And it, it seems like that type of energy is, is very much needed within this program. And if you're still on the fence about whether or not you are buying into the Jaleel hype, you should also read my story from a couple of weeks ago on Jaleel White. But that's an aside. Was that um, an article on Alscoop.com? No. That doesn't no. exist. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, my probably my biggest takeaway was uh, Jimmy talking about Jake Forrester, yes. who he had said has taken a really a really prominent step forward. Um, Jake obviously was a was a big part of their success when Temple was playing well last year. But when they weren't playing well, it was oftentimes because he was either wasn't on the floor because of foul trouble, struggling to defend the interior. Um, so his issues were kind of larger issues that helped that force the team into struggles, but his successes were really when Temple was playing some of their best basketball, um, when he could draw in defenders. So to hear that he's really taken a big step forward in terms of his understanding of the game, what he's able to do on the floor, uh, I thought was at least noteworthy. Cause I feel like he isn't someone that we've in a little bit, a little bit of basketball we've talked about in the last couple of months, he hasn't really been a name that's been uh, on the forefront in terms of guys who we feel is, are, are going to make an impact this year. So I think, uh, hearing Jake's name in that context was, um, at the very least, noteworthy. Real quick on that, I mean, I don't want to get too far off this, but I feel like people tend to maybe undervalue Jake Forrester a little bit. Like, I, I, I get that there's a lot of growth for development there, and he needs to become more of a, a consistent or more well-rounded big man, and there he leaves some to be desired on defense sometimes. But offensively, you can do a lot worse than Jake Forrester at this level of basketball. Seconded. He also, he also talked a little bit about, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it makes sense just based off of watching them last year. He talked about how when you look at Jake, his points per possession screen and roll was fantastic. And then when he was just posting up, it wasn't. And I mean, that would be, I think, like the, the, the next part of his game that has to come around. And of course, you know, I think, uh, I think Kyle, you, you asked him the question, right, about Jake only having two assists last season and, and you know, trying to run the offense through him a little bit more. And then, of course, he talked a lot about, Emmanuel Akpomo, the Wake Forest transfer, and how he's been really physical, particularly on defense, and how, you know, just adding, I mean, it sounds trite and it sounds cliche, but adding some, you know, adding some competition there, you know, beyond Arashman Parks has maybe made Jake uh, better. So again, I mean, every year, every team, every staff has somebody that they're excited about. And they say, we like this guy, we like that guy, this guy's really come around. I think if, if they get the seasons that they think they can get, out of Jaleel White and Jake Forrester, this is a, you know, a much better basketball team, especially with, you know, if, if they can get what they thought they would be able to get out of Jake when they got him as a transfer out of Indiana, that would, uh, that would obviously be huge for them. Yeah. And we heard a little bit about, we've heard from uh, Jimmy said it. I think Chris has said it. We've talked a little bit about it, that them bringing in Emmanuel Cuomo is really a chance to open up the floor for Jake kind of alleviate some defensive pressure, give him some space to do more of what he's best at. Um, we've heard a lot of talk, but I, that's one thing I'm, I'm 
excited and interested to see once the season starts when they play, uh, you know, Maryland, Eastern Shore, USC, and then get into the thick of their schedule and conference play is what does that look like? Um, how well does like, cause we really haven't seen much of Emmanuel Acomo at all. So what do those two look like together on the floor? Jimmy said Emmanuel Acomo is uh, very physical and quote unquote, sometimes too physical. So the two of them in that front court, I don't think he means too physical in a bad way, but those, those two in the front court together, I'm curious to see how that looks. Cause he's, he talked about lineups with those two. We talked about, we, we talked about lineups of like one of them in, allowing the other if one gets into foul trouble and then talked about lineups of and Jimmy today talked about lineups of uh, Nick Jordan or Sage Tolbert at the five. So it feels like between those four guys, there's a lot of flexibility uh, in the front court. And so speaking of more basketball and some conference realignment stuff, Dante was on uh, the American athletic conference basketball media day call. So a couple of things to take away from this Dante, Mike Oresco hopped on and uh Talked a little bit about conference realignment. You're going to tell us in a second that he said he didn't want to talk about conference realignment. Then he got about 5 million questions about conference realignment and talked about conference realignment. Uh, but it was also a day to, to hear from, uh, it was Aaron McKee and Caleb Battle, right? Yep. So uh, we'll, we'll start, actually start with the Oresco stuff. And I guess he was asked, of course, about that report that the Conference USA is has approached the American about realignment and creating what, like an East Division and a West Division. And uh, what, what did Oresco have to say about that? Yeah, he said that um, they sent him a letter, which, you know, very nice. We're, we're going back in time a little bit. You know, it wasn't an email. It was a physical letter. And, um, yeah, he said he has not replied to it yet. Um, kind of, you know, he left them on red. I, I think it is kind of the, <laughs> the euphemism that we're going to go with here. But how yeah, would he you leave he, somebody on red through the postal service? Like, how do you, how would you do that? Well, that, that was the press conference. He went out of his way to say that he had not yet responded, but he did read it. So, um, he said that he was going to respond and that he didn't want to get into it, um, any more than that. And, and that was kind of the theme of the entire press conference. His opening statement was incredibly long and he ended it by saying, I don't want to talk about conference realignment. And then every question that he got for the next 15 minutes was about conference realignment from media companies all over the country. It was very weird. And he ended up talking a lot about, you know, how they're not really as much concerned with like geographical stuff anymore. They're more concerned with like, you know, TV markets and different things like that. But he, did, he didn't really go into too much detail, but he did say like, I have not yet responded to conference USA. We'll do that soon. Dante, is it similar to like when you walk into a room or you walk into the Temple News office and you say, guys, guys, before this day proceeds at all, I don't want to talk about this upcoming quarterback class. And then everybody tells you, but Dante, I'm an Eagles fan. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with Jalen Hurts. Can you can you break down this quarterback class for me? Is it like that? It, it, it is like that. I mean, the amount of text messages that I've gotten this year from because all my friends are Eagles fans. So the amount of text messages that I've gotten that are like, hey, like, who are we taking to pick Hurts? And I'm like, guys, you know, punt to 2023. Like, this is not this is not the year. I mean, a presumptive QB1 Spencer Rattler got benched <laughs> in the Red River showdown, and I don't think he's going to play this week. Um, so, yeah, it's very much like that. I, I felt like, you know, I feel like Mike Oresco, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just getting us off track there a little bit, Kyle. Just a little bit. I was smiling, giving us a wry smile. Um, that was my, I'm definitely paying attention. Acknowledge my smile. <laughs> <laughs> so getting things back to basketball again, is now that the media day circuit starts a little bit and Aaron McKee and, and Caleb Battle were on uh, today. And again, I know there's, I mean, admittedly, I think you guys probably feel the same way. There's not a, a whole lot to take from media days. I, Dante was on the call. I couldn't be on the call. What, what, what if anything, could you glean from uh, what those guys talked about today? 
Yeah, I think um, the two big themes were like, hey, we had a full off season. Like we've actually been able to practice. You know, there's been a lot less problems with COVID. And like, we feel like we're in a much better place right now at this time than we did last year, right? We heard that both from from Battle and from Aaron. Um, and then when Aaron talked, I, I thought the biggest thing that he mentioned was kind of like, okay, this is year three of my program. I feel like this is more of the team that I wanted to be as far as we got a lot of guys with really good length, a lot of guys who are competitive, guys who can play multiple positions. I think he talked about that for like four or five of his answers, um, just kind of talking about how they want to play both on offense and on defense. So those were the big takeaways. I'm not the basketball guy. Uh, I've very much been getting back into the team, but that's what they talked about a lot. Um, and Aaron was kind of like, you know, I feel really good about, where we're at right right now, as opposed to last year, the development that, um, you know, you guys talked about Jaleel White, his name came up from both Caliph and from Aaron. It seems like they're very excited about him. So I think that was definitely real. Um, they also talked about Emmanuel Opono and Car is what he's going to bring to the table this year. So a lot of the same names that, um, you know, everybody heard from Jimmy came up from Aaron and, and Caliph as well. So I think that the team feels like they're in a better spot. They feel like they've developed, they've really improved across the board. And they also feel like, okay, you know what, this is what we're supposed to look like. This is the type of team that we're building, you know, kind of more long-term big picture stuff. All right. So now we get to this temple football team, which is coming off. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we thought that they were going to beat a fifth rank Cincinnati team, but as has been the theme this year, it's how they lose. And so, they lost 52-3 to obviously a very good Cincinnati team, but uh, you know, they're three and three at the halfway point of the season, you know, save for a couple of plays at the beginning of the game where they were moving the ball a little bit, nothing went right. There were, there were more special teams, miscues, two muff punts, one by Jaden uh, blue, one by Ahmad Anderson. Um, since his defense was as good as advertised and, uh, so here they are again, three and three at the halfway point of the season. They don't play again until they go to, again, what is currently a one and four USF team. That's not very good. USF's playing Tulsa, I believe this weekend, but um, again, I think it's, it's they're three and three. If we had said at the outset of the season that they'd be three and three at the halfway point of the season, you'd think, okay, that sounds about right, but it's, it's how they got there. You know, again, the one decent win they have so far is against Memphis and they've also beaten Akron and, and uh and Wagner how are you guys feeling about this team six games in again it's been a it's been a kind of a season of of extremes and obviously last Friday night they played literally I get one of the best teams in the country there's no question about it but um they weren't weren't competitive uh I I think uh and I'll touch on this in a little bit this offensive line has got major issues and I think it's something that they really need to shore up for the long-term future of the program but yeah, six games in. How are we feeling about this team? There have been there's been so much to digest, so many opinions coming in and out from fans and the ups and downs and all of it. What do we make of this so far? Dante, I'll start with you. Um, I I think that honestly, this is about what I expected from them. Kyle just Kyle just Kyle just mouth on Zoom. Just, okay. <laughs> and Dante and I were already in agreement. I was gonna start off. Yeah. I muted myself to get ready, yeah. but you decided oh, to, you know, not I be a good facilitator. Yeah. So here we are. Dante, I take was, it away. <laughs> I was I was not remotely prepared to speak, I'm gonna be honest. Um sorry, I, I didn't know that you guys had a had a uh, <laughs> it was just we just gave each other a look, yeah. right? You know, yeah, so yeah. Like a look <laughs> no. like you're the quarterback and he's the receiver, and you're like, I'm yeah, I knew. I knew. <laughs> yeah, we knew. Um, no, but like this is pretty much what I expected from them. I think that like 
I honestly like I, I don't think they're very good. Like overall, just being like generally speaking, um, they beat a really, really bad Akron team. They beat a really, really bad Wagner team. They came back and beat Memphis. And you know what? That was great. Uh, it showed that they had a little bit of fight in them. And that's good. But, you know, I understand that Cincinnati is one of the best teams in the country. Trust me. Like I'm going to have to spend hundreds of hours watching their defense for draft prospects this year. Like they got some legitimately, you know, really, really good players. Desmond Ritter is going to be an NFL quarterback, whether Kyle likes it or not. Um, they He's have a quarterback. Really- He's not a first round pick. He's not. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you, uh, but <laughs> The but the point is is like there's a difference between losing like 52 to three and like basically being a no show, which they were on both sides of the ball, and losing like you know 52 to 17, you know, and you, you know you're in the game at least a little bit. I know it doesn't sound like a big difference, but to me it is. They just they didn't really show up to that game, and that's concerning. And that's what we've seen a lot. You know, they were in the Rutgers game a little bit, things got away from them. That ends up being a blowout. Didn't really have much of a shot against Boston College. Defense kept them in for a little bit. They didn't really make much of a push there. So this is a team that every time that they play a team that is like anywhere close to legitimately good, they don't show up. I don't know how I feel about Memphis yet. We'll see how the rest of their season goes. It's a good win. I don't think that this is like completely doom and gloom. They'll probably beat South Florida. I'm just not sure how many other wins they get past South Florida. Um, they, you know, the Americans kind of eating itself alive right now outside of Cincinnati. So I don't know. I don't think they're very good. I think they've got some, like John talked about the offensive line, like some fundamental issues. Um, The receiving room is like very weird. I think they've got talent there, but the way that they deploy those players, I think is a little bit odd. Um, The running back room is like very average. I think you flip over on a defense. There's a lot of young up and coming guys. I think you like what you've seen from the secondary, but I don't know if they're quite there yet. We might be a year too early. I think there's good signs on the defense, if you were going to, you know, look at the positives, I think that's where most of them are at. And then obviously I think Dewan is talented enough to make a difference at quarterback. He just needs a little bit more time and a little bit more help. But um, overall, I, this is about what I expected for the season. I don't know about you, Kyle. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I think, I think if anybody's opinion on the season was impacted one way or the other from getting dominated by a top five team in the nation, then you have nobody to blame but yourself for not managing your expectations. I keep, I keep kind of, before I was kind of comparing this season to 2014, where like, okay, they, they struggled, they got to six wins, there were some ups and some downs, and they, they found a way to set up for that 2015 season. I still kind of believe that. I also think there's some similarities to the 2017 season, Jeff Collins's first year, where there were some bad, bad losses. There was times they went down to Cincinnati and Jeff Collins didn't pull his starters in the fourth quarter like Rod Carey did against Cincinnati. He was playing against UCF's backups, and they still lost by 40 points. They got smacked around by Notre Dame. There were some big blowout losses that eventually set themselves up for a pretty good 2018 season where they go 8-4 and four in the regular season and then lose to, uh, lose to Duke in the Independence Bowl. But this is kind of what college football is, right? Like if you're not at that tier within your conference of like, yes, I am that good of a team. I have aspirations for the conference championship. There are some bad games like this. They're not usually as bad as 52 to three, but there are some bad games. And I think Temple has shown this season in 2021 that they are able to compete against the teams that are in similar tier to them. But when they have to play up to that Cincinnati level or when they have to play up to the power five level granted Boston college is a pretty mediocre team without Djurkovic and Rutgers is showing pretty much what you expected. Once they got into the media, their schedule, they were going to start to struggle a bit. Once they had to play up to that level, they have shown that they're not ready for it. 
Um, I think we have a question later where about, hey, did Juwan Mathis quit on this team? Juwan Mathis didn't look great. He also got sacked six times, and that offensive line played its worst game in two and a half years. Like it's been, it was a bit of a struggle there in general. So no, I'm not surprised. Um, my ex, I still think they have a chance of the bowl, to be honest, just because there's 35 of them, 37 of them, whatever it might be. And they just have to get to six wins. Uh, I still see the possibility for some wins pretty much honestly at every, every week. I'm not impressed by anybody else still remaining on the schedule. Does that mean they're going to go seven and one in the conference? And you're going to go look at this. They're 10 and two or 10 and three. And that situation would be nine and three. No, but I think they have the possibility of beating pretty much any team remaining on the schedule. So it just kind of is what it is. I really hope that they use the 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 bye week to their advantage, primarily for what John just mentioned about setting up the offensive line in the future. I think this is a big recruiting week for them. I think they're on the road a lot. And I think they have to find guys that are able to come in and compete at that offensive line potential uh, position. Yeah, you guys saw more of the game than I did. I saw a decent amount of it. Didn't get to see all of it. I'll actually kind of use this as a quick uh, opportunity to to uh, pay tribute to. Um, it's been a past past couple of weeks have been a little rough. We lost uh, my stepfather in law, Hal Parsons, uh, died way too young at the age of sixty one. Uh, my mother in law's husband, um, they had just got married not even two years ago, passed away last week after a long hospital stay, and it's been uh, um, just a rough couple of weeks for, for you know. For his family and ours and so we were running some errands and helping my mother-in-law out last last friday i don't know if uh, i don't know how many uh scoop listeners we have out in the upper darby area but if we do and you lived in that community you might have had the chance to meet hal again he spent um more than 25 years on the upper darby police force and just so many people came out on monday for his viewing and yesterday for the funeral he was a a real good man and uh he survived by his his two children um uh, uh, Tori, his daughter and, and Hal, his son. And, um, and of course my, my wife, Chelsea and, and my mother-in-law, Janet have been affected by this too. And Hal was just a really good man. And, um, I wanted to pay tribute to him, the upper Derby police force. So many of them came out and made this, uh, you know, a, a comforting experience for my mother-in-law and they were great. And just hearing what they had to say about how was, was really touching and, uh, I miss them. It's been a rough couple of weeks. And, uh, but I know, uh, yeah, he'd, his, uh, he'd be proud of his son. His, his son, Hal, did a tremendous job with the eulogy and his, his wife, Jess, and they've just done a great job of, uh, you know, supporting my mother-in-law through this. So, uh, you know, on Friday, we were running around. I, I saw most of the game, but, but not all of it. One of the plays that I, I did miss uh, in checking in with you guys was the, the, the first of the two muff punts. So, again, there were, there were special teams mistakes. I don't know, you know, and again, I wasn't on the post-game presser. I don't know what else can go into coaching there? If a, if a player drops the ball, he drops the ball and Ahmad Anderson, I saw, I saw that one. Uh, but what I keep coming back to, and again, it's not certainly not breaking any news here is that, you know, again, I, I think they lose this game regardless, but you know, very early. And I stress very early on that a, a couple of plays that got them some yardage. I think we knew that they weren't going to be able to do a lot of like the perimeter stuff, the push passes, like their, their linebackers are just too good. I mean, it looked like they were afraid to throw the ball downfield. Obviously, it's a very good, very, very good secondary, as Dante alluded to. He's going to be watching a lot of Cincinnati film. They've got some future pros in that defense. But uh, to me, and I'm sure I'm making this out, I know it's not just this simple, but there, there are a lot of things to look at. But I honestly think the success of this staff, 
whether or not they can kind of get this thing turned around and getting heading it back in the right direction is if they can continue to recruit and develop some difference making offensive linemen that can that can really move people off the ball. Again, we, we know this, they're not going to go out and get five-star guys or a bunch of four-star recruits, but like that, that line was just, I mean, Dwan Mathis looked like he was running for his life most of the night. And, you know, I, a couple of fans had texted me saying, Oh, it doesn't have a good touch on his deep ball. I'm like, well, how many, how many throws did he get the chance to, to step into? I mean, like it's, it's plain and simple. If you're, if the, the pocket is not clean and it was nowhere near clean, I mean, just running, constantly and you know that the offensive line just picked it's obviously it's worst time to, as Kyle said probably the, one of the worst games they played in the last two seasons and you look back to some of the great seasons they had in the past like you know if there were some injuries a guy like Brendan McGowan could come in and be competent he wasn't a future pro but you know he wasn't getting you know I mean look at how Temple's offensive line played against Penn State in that season played against Notre Dame against some really good defenses and I'm just not seeing not just a lack of toughness, but just some, some plays where guys are just really, 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 really getting blown up. And to me, I think it's going to be, you know, are guys like Bryce Toman going to be something in the future? Is Wisdom Quarsh going to continue to develop? Are they going to get anything out of guys like Luke Foster? Uh, they seem very high on Jim Toa Bidegwu. He's, I mean, he's obviously just a, a true freshman. Rich Rodriguez, Victor Stoffel, can these guys play for you? And as Kyle said, you know, Rod Carey mentioned it, a little bit on Monday said this is going to be a recruiting week for us. Again, they don't play until the 23rd. They're sitting at five verbal commitments they're, they're They might have a, a verbal coming up uh, pretty soon. There's some actually some details about that on our football message board, if you want to check it out. Uh, but they need some linemen in this class and whether it's, whether it's true freshmen coming in or just some impact transfers, because that to me, and again, it wasn't the only thing, but to me, the most glaring thing is the halfway point of the season. Oof. Like they, they've had some good games, you know, Michael Neese has played well on some stretches and all those guys could be playing better. And they just really, really got blown up on Friday night. Yeah. Just to kind of add uh, stats to that instead of us just talking in general, um, 35 passing plays by Dwan Mathis in Cincinnati. He was pressured on 21 of them, despite them only blitzing 11 times on um, the 14 dropbacks that he wasn't pressured on. He completed 83% of his passes. He completed 40% of his passes when he was pressured. He was running for his life the entire game. Yeah. I mean, Dante, there's a difference right between, I know it sounds obvious between like getting pressured and being able to deliver in the pocket when you've got some pressure and then just flat out, like a, just a, just gangbusters. The guy's coming in. It's like, as literally as soon as the snap gets to you, you're like, yeah, I got no time. And I'm just immediately rolling out. And that's more of what we were seeing. Right. That's what I was seeing. I, I think that um, obviously like, you know, like Kyle said, I think the big point, right. Is like um, when you're blaming the offensive line for things, blitz percentage is very important, right? If a team blitzes a lot, you kind of have to take a little bit away from the line and look about what the quarterback's doing. Um, but Cincinnati did not blitz a lot, which means Temple was losing one-on-one -on -one matchups where they probably had five on four. Um, and they were losing those matchups very, very quickly. Maje Sanders was in the backfield. I, pretty much the entire game. Um, Darian Beavers was used as a rusher. He's kind of a linebacker guy, but they lined him up on the edge a couple times. He won a bunch of reps. Um, it just wasn't great. And then, you know, talking about like the deep ball, like people talking about that, like, look, here's the thing. Cincinnati's got two NFL corners on the outside. They got another NFL guy in the slot and they got an NFL safety. Temple doesn't have anyone who's winning those matchups. I'm sorry. They, they just were not, people were not open down the field. Yeah, if, there, um, if there's anybody that could have won those matchups, he's been sitting on the sidelines for two and a half games. Exactly, right. So right. Randall Jones is out. Um, Jaden Blue just 
doesn't seem like to be, I don't know if it's fit or what's up with him. Uh, I tried to ask Rod Carey about it. He was not happy with me. Um, so I like, I don't know what's going I on. I don't there. see things that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I don't, I don't share that perspective. I don't, I don't, share, I don't that. share that perspective. I asked him for context. I asked him, you know, why hasn't Jaden produced so many explosive plays this year? And for reference, he's averaging like just over five yards a catch. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, which is like really not good. Like that's aggressively bad. Um, and, and Rod was like, I don't share that perspective. And I was like, well, you know, like why? I, mean, I, I get it. Aggressively like, bad. I love just, aggressively that's a, bad. You know, I mean, obviously, very fair question and a good question. That's just a coach protecting his player. But go ahead. I, I I hear you. Yeah, but the larger point, right, is that when your offensive line can't block just the four down linemen that are coming, so not extra people, just the four down linemen, and your receivers can't separate down the field. Unless you're Patrick Mahomes, there's just not a lot that you can do as a quarterback. So um, did Mathis play well? I No, obviously he didn't. But like, you know, how much of the blame am I going to throw on him for this game? Not a ton. I, I just he didn't get any help. And I think that, again, you know, the NFL game is different from college, right? Like I'm very like anti run the ball in the NFL in college. Like you have to be able to have a running game. Like it's, it's just not the same thing. You have to be able to move people off the ball and consistently pick up somewhere between four to five yards a carry in college. It's, it's different. You have to incorporate the QB run. You have to have that element of your offense. Temple's offensive line cannot move anybody. They're not moving. They, they really, they really weren't pushing Akron around enough for me, frankly. So like, I, I think that that's a big part of this offense, right? Like you need that in college football and Temple just doesn't have it right now. Before we get to the mailbag, and again, we, we, we you know, obviously, if you, if you check in at alscoop.com, we have a lot of coverage of um, the new athletic director, of course, Arthur Johnson from the University of Texas. We had a, a short clip in last week's podcast because that uh, coincided with, with Temple bringing him in. And again, we've got some uh, recruiting content up on the site as well. Uh, Caden Steele's been handling a lot of our recruiting content. Uh, a couple of guys down the line, like um, Hammond Anderson uh, from Camden High School, Logan Perez, another local guy uh, from South Jersey. So we've got some recruiting content up there. And again, we had coverage of Arthur Johnson's opening press conference. We'll get to that a little bit more uh, in the mailbag. So we have a couple of mailbag questions about that. So before we get to the mailbag, guys, one more talking point, maybe something I'll throw to you guys to say on football here at the halfway point, give me a player who has surprised you and, and been a bright spot and maybe a player who you think has kind of underperformed. I think I know the underperforming one because we're just talking about him, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys want to go with somebody else, but give me a guy who you think is um, kind of performed ahead of your expectations and someone who needs to pick up their play in the last six games. I'll, I'll start off. Um, exceeding my expectations. It says nothing to do with the level of player he was is I thought opportunity wise, it might not be there this year. I, if you had told me halfway through the MJ Griffin was going to be their second tackler, I would have assumed that Amir Tyler got injured instead whether that's due to lack of defensive linemen or just whatever, Amir, uh, sorry, MJ Griffin has basically carved out a role as a third starting safety. It also showed the flexibility to step up and play when Deshaun Winston has been injured. Yeah. So they've been rolling out a lot of three safety sets with him, Alex Odom, and Amir Tyler. I didn't expect that coming in. MJ Griffin's a year ahead of where I thought he would be. I thought he was the natural successor to, successor to uh, Amir Tyler once Amir Tyler graduated and stays a year ahead. Disappointing Disappointment, Jaden Blue. Jaden Blue, I mean, whether it's via scheme or or productivity or whatever it might be, even just he looks lost at times out there. Um, I mean, I think especially on special teams, to be honest, like with him as a punt returner, he's been moving backwards more often than he's moving forward. 
Um, it's just been, it's been underwhelming. Or is that a, like, like, are they literally, uh, is that a special teams coaching thing where they should be saying to him, Jaden, like whether you're facing a rugby style kicker or just a traditional punter, like, look, man, like we know that traditionally that this guy is landing the ball at this spot or bat. like, it seems like he's constantly backing up. Is that a coaching thing or a player thing? I mean, Dante might know better than me, but I, I honestly view it as him just maybe just trying to force and trying to do things a little bit too much instead of just taking what's there. There's been times when he catches it and catches him in momentum and goes forward. He's getting the five, six, seven, eight yards that you expect. He goes backwards six yards, and that's helping nobody, let alone when you fumble it. But Dante might know more about the actual scheme aspect. I mean, I'm, I'm with Kyle here. I don't know. I, I, I think it's weird, right, because he didn't do that last year, if I remember correctly. I don't remember that being a problem, so – that tells me that it's probably him and not the coaching staff. But again, I'm, I'm just guessing. I, I wouldn't know. Real quick, it's not our job to defend this coach staff whatsoever. And people are rightfully angry about special teams sometimes. You can't coach them to catch the ball better. I mean, there yeah. was two times in Cincinnati that it was him and Amada Anderson that, what are you going to do there? Like, they, they muffed the punt. Dante, how about you? A guy that's exceeded expectations and a guy here that has not exceeded expectations. Yeah, I think uh, Yvandi Rigby is is uh has blown me away. I think he's been really good since coming into that Bubo spot. Um, I like that they moved him there because I think that we kind of talked about uh, over the summer a lot as like, hey, like this linebacker group, right? The middle linebackers, these guys are good. This is a good spot of this team and has a lot of depth. And then we kind of talked about Bubo and Quantel Reigns was coming in and had some younger players behind him. We weren't really sure what we were going to get out of that group. So I think it was really smart to kind of transition Rigby to that spot and get like three of your better players on the field, right? Like uh, a, a term that we hear a lot about the offensive line is, Hey, just get the five best guys on the field. I don't care where they play. Temple seems to be doing that, but they're, they're air quotes linebackers. And I think that was really smart. I think Rigby has been really good uh, on the flip side for me, like CJ Perez has been incredibly underwhelming at center. I never thought that he was going to be like, you know, Matt Hennessy or anything like that, but he was very much like the, uh, the, the leader of this group, you know, the guy who's played a lot of football, uh, even outside of COVID, he had played a lot of football, right? So not all of his experience was a weird year. I was expecting him to be a lot better. I was expecting that offensive line to be a little bit more cohesive, mm -hmm. given that they all played together last year. And I feel like that starts with the center. So CJ has been a little bit disappointing for me this year. Yeah, I would, uh, I'll kind of piggyback off of that. And look, I mean, like in the interest of fairness, it's not like, at least I'm not able to like go back and watching every single play on film, but when you try to isolate certain plays where you can, whether it's CJ Perez or a guy like Klein, um, they're just like guys that you needed that like guys that they needed to be really good this year. I think it would be, I don't know, a tad unfair to come down too hard on wisdom for She's still developing again. Anybody who's seen the field needs to play well, but that line, like I said earlier, just, you know, I think it would have been understandable if you, you know, you lose this game, you know, even if it's like a 42-28, game, but they they sustain a few drives and you feel good about it. You say, okay, on this drive, they moved, they had three or four consecutive positive plays and they did this and you could isolate that and say, look, on this play, they were able to pick up a blitz or do that. But like you guys said, they weren't even really blitzing a ton. So I, I don't know, pick a guy on that line. You know, it hasn't, it hasn't been good. Um, yeah, I, I like the Rigby pick, Dante. I mean, like, I think they needed some you know, a, a way to get some more guys on the field that they could say, okay, well, we can, if we can move him to Bubo, because again, he was initially, right, he was backing up, uh, backing up Will Quenku, middle linebacker, to move him over. Um, and I think they've got some, there I look at a position like linebacker and say, I, I like the way the linebacker position looks for them for the future. I don't like, until I see something otherwise, I don't like how the offensive line 
looks for them in the future. And they need to shore that up very quickly or unless I, I just don't know how they make any real progress in terms of getting past like that five or six win plateau and, and, you know, be having a tough identity. And Dante, I think you make a really good point, you know, in the, in the NFL, it's like pass, 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 get a lead, set up the run. I'm sorry, you know, use the run to, to, to grind teams down like the Eagles think they're able to do sometimes, but, you know, but in college, like you said, very simply, you need to be able to, it's like every, every good college running back coming out, like fans are like, Oh, wow. He was averaging like, 5.1 yards per carry. It's like, well, in the NFL, that'd be great. In college football, it should be kind of standard. And, you know, I think Rod said earlier this week, he's like, well, Sadie has kind of distinguished himself, and I'm paraphrasing here, but not by much. So I don't know if, you know, if, if they'll get Kyle Dobbins back into the mix. Again, they have that USF game coming up. USF hasn't been good. Maybe that'll be a game where they can kind of get some confidence back in the running game and the offensive line should coincide. But I think anybody on that on that offensive line has been a disappointment. Uh, but I, I like both those picks in terms of MJ Griffin and Rigby. I'm in that Memphis game. You know, I like Amir Tyler a lot, but he got beat a couple of times. Again, Memphis has a good tight end and, and, and MJ really has taken advantage of like, you know, the, the, you know, a ton of snaps they've played with three safeties. And I think he looks good for them for the future, but um, I'd say maybe the only other pick I could think of, and again, it's a very small sample size, but if you start to see a guy like Jordan Smith continue to progress, I, I would say I like what I'd seen of Ahmad Anderson. He's really fast and he, he can get some things done. I mean, he sealed off that Memphis win, but you obviously can't be dropping a punt in a critical oh, situation like that. I'll throw Jose Barbon in there. Yeah. He's been the most consistent of their wide receivers. So yeah. also, also deserves his flowers, as Sam Cohn would say. Yes, that was great. He said that in a press conference, right? Oh, he, he, and he, you know, I know Sam, you know, he had like, he had that cocked up. Like he was waiting, like, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say deserves his flowers or gets his flowers. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to the mailbag here. This first question from Mike TB31 is the screen name. Like the question, then he kind of just goes on to answer it for us. Um, pretend you are the new Temple AD and you can hire any former or present coaching staff members that head coach the football team. Also pretend this is a 10-year contract. Who are your top five candidates? And he says, for example, number one, Matt Rule. Number two, Al Golden. Number three, Ryan Day, number four, Bruce Arians, ranked lower because unlikely a coach for 10 years. So he's calling Bruce Arians old, which he is. Then he throws in Nadia Harvin, the longtime assistant to the head coach. Love Nadia. He says, JK, maybe a defensive guy uh, like Phil Snow. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't have to go down his yeah, list. Yeah, we can yeah. answer the question. I don't know. Let's, uh, real quick, though, I'll say none of them are likely to coach 10 years because the years in coaching contracts are a lie. Right. It's like it's like when you look at like NFL contracts, like, oh, he signed three years, 120 million. How much that's guaranteed? Six yeah. million. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I, I tend not to try in life not to look too much in the past, right? Like, I don't care about some of these retreads. If you're asking me, like, who's my kind of dream, if, if, who's kind of my dream, like, whatever situation, I honestly think Elijah Robinson's a rising star in this industry, and it's not even close. You look at some of the people, it, spoiler alert, it's about to happen again in this recruiting cycle. You look at the amount of times that he's able to get kids from Philadelphia to go down to College Station, Texas, which is, like, culturally – they're opposites and go down there and succeed. I mean, he's probably a three-star from Northeast high school is starting in the SEC as a true freshman at quarterback in Tyreek Chappelle. Like he is a dynamic uh, recruiter. I would love to see what he could do with this head program with his own program. If you could lock him to a 10 year head coaching deal somehow, then you do that. I'll say Elijah Robinson. In fairness, he can say, even though like, yes, it's college station, Texas, it's the SEC and you just beat Alabama. So he's got some. Sure. Yeah. But you're not recruiting for Alabama. 
But right. you, like he, you can see that now. He's already done it. He brought for deal digs down. I love Elijah. Elijah's great. Yeah. Elijah's great. I was just gonna say it's not. Let's. I don't want to make out A and M to be like. Why this. is Why isn't Vanderbilt a top five program, Ben John? Like they're in the SEC. They're playing all these kids too. And guess what? They can't get shit to go there. Nobody can go there. Nobody's going there. And they're they're recruiting to Nashville. They're recruiting to a hell of a city. And they can't get anybody to go there. There's more to it than just the conference. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Dante, you want to take take a stab at this one? I know you haven't been covering well, Temple as long, but, you know. I was about to say, this one is, like, way outside of my wheelhouse, and I did not see this on the sheet when I looked at it. But uh, the name that I was going to add off the top was, like, Phil Snow. I think Phil Snow is, like, a really, really good defensive coordinator. What he's been yeah. able to do uh, the past two seasons in Carolina is, like, wildly impressive. They're one of the most, like, cutting-edge defenses in the NFL, and he's, like, an older guy. You don't always expect that. Um, from someone of his age, a way that he's been able to adapt to the modern game, uh, you know, employ players like Jeremy Chin in multiple spots, get the most out of guys like Brian Burns and Derek Brown. Um, I, I think Chandler, Phil Snow, Sam Franklin. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of Temple guys as well. So, like, I think, you know, like, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Phil Snow gets, like, some head coaching looks. I don't know if he gets a job, but it wouldn't shock me if he gets a, a look. I know you guys both just winced. Um, I think he's, I mean, Phil, Phil, I think, and John, I don't want to cut you off. I think he was close to retirement five yeah, years ago. That's all I was going to yeah. say. I, I would not yeah. have been surprised. I would not have been surprised if Phil uh, used to, um, he used to say, is that, is that Jordan in the background? No, it's my other kid. Yes, it's Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that should play another kid. Anytime he wants to make a, an appearance on the podcast, let me know. Um, so I think Phil even, I used to talk to him informally about this. I think he was living when he was, when he was coaching at Temple, he was living in a townhouse, like out, like on the edge of the city in Roxborough. And he'd say, yeah, I think I want to eventually go back to, to Arizona when I retire and maybe that'll be sooner rather than later. And so he would, I wouldn't have been surprised when Matt went down to Baylor, if Phil had just said, ah, you know what? I've coached a lot. I've, I've had some time in the NFL. I'll, I've certainly had some time in the college game. I've coached a lot of great players. Let's hang it up. But he's hung around longer than I thought. But again, I mean, he's like you said, Dante, he's been a great defensive coordinator. I remember a certain uh, clueless, clueless, clueless Temple football blogger who shall remain nameless and thought that Phil Snow was such a bad hire because uh, the guy was just looking at uh, the numbers from Eastern Michigan where he was when Matt hired him and completely ignored everything that he did at Arizona state and Eastern Michigan was recruiting Dante Colinelli to play tight end. That's how bad the level of talent was down there. Dante, yes. Let's true. judge him off that. Yes. Let's keep that. Yeah. We'll, we'll say that was true, but I mean, Phil's Phil's great. Yeah. I, I don't know if he'd be, you know, I think Temple had a window of opportunity when, when Matt left to go to Baylor, I think if Temple had gone to Phil and said, before we interview anybody else, this is your job. Do you want it? I, I think we might've been talking about something different that didn't happen. I think Temple kind of, you know, balked at that. So they started interviewing some guys, you know, the Charlie Strong's of the world. And then, you know, I think they got some advice from the outside and saying, Hey, you might want to look at Jeff Collins down in Florida. They hired Jeff Collins. So, I mean, if you can bring Matt rule back and Matt's like, I've had my fill the NFL. I mean, he, Matt flat out said to reporters last week, Philly's always going to be home. I uh, love Cape May. Philly's kind of home for me. We love Charlotte, but Philly's home. If you could bring back Matt, uh, I'm with Kyle. I think, um, you know, Elijah Robinson is doing a, a great job. Um, having Al Golden come back to Temple would be a, would be a trip. Um, Ryan Day coming to Temple. The, the funny thing is, I think I, both stints when Ryan Day was at Temple, I, I it's I don't know. I mean, he was with, he was part of Golden Staff and he was part of Adazio Staff. I think every step that he's had in his in his direction has been very fortuitous. And uh, 
right place, right time. And now he's doing a good job at Ohio state. I don't know if I'd see him as a fit back at temple, but I don't know. I think there are a lot of the, the obvious names here. I think Phil would be retired, but I think Elijah would be good. Maybe Evan Cooper is a dark horse candidate. I think we might've mentioned him before. Bravo. Um, One guy who I, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned Saravo. Yes. I'm a big Mike Saravo fan. Obviously on, on Matt rule staff down with the Panthers as their linebackers coach. I like kind Saravo. of a, we we've been focusing a lot on rule guys kind of an in between. Um, I don't think he's at that point yet. I, I mentioned this when the Georgia Southern job came over. I think Andrew Thacker is the first future head coach. I just don't think it's necessarily at this level yet. Uh, and I think Chris Wiesahan has a chance to be a head coach at some point in his future. Yeah. Yes. Um, Coaching trees. Yeah. Next question here from SHU source is the screen name. Um, I kind of want to chime in on this first and, and uh, have you guys chime in as well, but uh, and I get it. This is a, I think this is a question that is on the minds of some people basically saying, let me stir the pot a bit. Is the scale and scope of Temple football and athletics in general so radically different than it is at Texas that it becomes fair to ask if Arthur Johnson's experience there is even relevant to our situation? As you see it, what parts of overseeing Texas football is applicable to working at Temple? And he says in parentheses here, to be clear, I think Johnson is a skilled and talented administrator, but this is a concern, at least to me. My immediate reaction to this, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, is you know, and, I, and I've talked to a couple of people about this for, on background, and I think they, it's a good and obvious point, but maybe kind of a forgotten one. So you got to remember that, that, that Pat Kraft left last summer, not this past summer, but last summer. Fran Dunphy sticks around. You know, from what I was told, I think Dunph was initially told maybe this is a two or three month gig, and it was a lot longer than that. And you know, just like I would imagine, again, I've never have been, never will be an athletic director, but just like in any competitive industry, everybody's keeping their eye on jobs. And I think that like to think that to think that Arthur Johnson just didn't look at the temple job at all once it became sort of open. And I mean, from when Pat left, I think you'd have to you'd have to be a little naive to think that he wasn't looking at this job for a long time, doing his research, weighing the pluses and minuses, saying, you know, like I think he said in his in his press conference last week, hey, my wife and I were very comfortable in Austin. Great school, great city. It was going to take a special place for us to move. And again, of course, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. I think by this point, having more than a year to do some research on this and whether or not, hey, am I comfortable being like an associate AD in the Big 12, big, you know, best of everything, diverse city, lots of options for stuff to do, great sports culture, or do I move up to Philadelphia? I don't think you make that move without doing a ton of research over the past year. Uh, of course, Texas and Temple are two different places. Um, you know, he said, "Hey, budgeting's still the same. It's still, uh, you know, still zero-based budget. We got to do some things. There are some obvious differences. I, I don't think it's that much of a concern. I don't think Arthur Johnson's the type of guy who's going to come to Temple and be like, oh my God, I'm not in Austin anymore. I can't do this.' Now he's got his hands full. He's got to energize a fan base. It would help if the teams win." But, you know, the, the question here is what parts of overseeing Texas football is applicable to working at Temple? I mean, I think it's pretty clear without having Jason Wingard on this on this podcast. I think it's very clear that, that Jason Wingard, you know, preferred somebody with power five experience and someone who he trusted. And that doesn't mean that Jason Wingard and Arthur Johnson were saying, yeah, give us three weeks and Temple will be in the big 12 or give us, give us, you know, six months and temple will have a, an on-campus football stadium. But, you know, I think like the, the football facilities part of his job was huge having, you know, upper tier conference experience is huge. So I think that's what mattered, but I don't see this as a situation where he's going to just come to temple and be like, 
oh my gosh, this is more than I bargained for. I don't think you make that type of leap. And again, you got to remember that people around the country, any sort of aspiring athletic director looking to make their next move knew this job was going to come open at some point. So I think Arthur Johnson's a guy that's done his research. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I also think it's it's a completely fair question. Um, I just think that from the outside looking at maybe um, they hadn't considered those aspects. I will also say I wasn't at the press conference reading the press release and seeing what people have said and seeing that Damon Evans was there and stuff like that. It doesn't seem like Arthur Johnson is going to have be lacking for people to pick the arrow. It seems like he's incredibly well networked with people that are playing pick the brains of uh, incredibly well networked with people that are in those current roles at power five positions. So I, I think it's a fair question, but I think that Arthur Johnson has shown that he has the facilities and uh, wherewithal and network to adjust to a new environment. Also, John, you could be an athletic director. Don't sell yourself short. You never know. What did the John DiCarlo era of Temple Athletics look like? Oh, no, no, no. You think you're going to be Temple? Oh, no, no. I was, I was thinking like Widener, Canisius, I walked Cabrini, Immaculata, Westchester right. East, but not Westchester Henderson. Like, like you know, like you, you got to be aware where you're at in life. <laughs> I lead a comfortable life as a high school athletic director. Go back to Chester County. Yeah, it'd be a good choice. I ran thing. I drove my council rock south the other day. Holy crap. These places are getting huge. Some of these high, high school, man. It's yeah, huge. It's gigantic. Yeah, Dante. Yeah. You know, what's, you what's, know what's the really mascot? What's the mascot? Ellie field. Yeah. The, the golden, uh, golden Hawks. I think we are. No, maybe I drove by somebody else. That was not it. <laughs> I don't, I don't golden honestly, Hawks. that's what we were when I was there. I don't know. If they they might have changed it. We were have we had a contest for it. I don't know if they changed it. Uh, maybe I drove by a different one. Holy crap! You guys keep talking. I'll figure it out. On this episode uh, of where the hell was Kyle driving to? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't know. Yeah, you know what's crazy about my school is it's huge, but we don't have our own football field. So uh, you know, not. It's like the the shittier downtown. It's like their their version. Yeah. Like like downtown East, the shittier downtown doesn't have its own football field. We're the shittier Council Rock and we don't have our own football field. That's, and I, that's I never know when to, to to defend Downingtown East or I've, I went to Downingtown when it was one high school and uh, I don't know. Anyway, John DiCarlo is an athletic director. Kyle saying it could happen. I doubt it. Next question here from Green Street, Al from the message board. Again, these are screen names from the message board. I obviously have no knowledge of what the new president and AD are thinking, but if this team does not make a bowl or even if it scrapes by and does, do you think there's a new football coach next season at a place that doesn't historically fire coaches with multiple years remaining? Um, I, I, no, I, I do, do. I think there's a coaching change. No, I, I know that people are angry. I know that some people want us to say yes. Um, I don't think there's a new football coach next season uh, short of there just being this team just completely quitting on Rod Carey and it just gets so bad. And, you know, some people want to, you know, some, some affluent alums want to step in and help pay for the guy's buyout. I, I don't see it happening. And I, I, I get it. There are a lot of red flags there where you say, Oh, is this thing headed in the right direction? It's kind of gone back and forth. Uh, I don't think a team that, that spots Memphis a 17, nothing lead and comes back and wins a decent game. I don't think that's a sign of a, a team that's completely quit on its coach. I get it. I get where the fan ire is coming from. Wouldn't expect anybody to be happy after a game like, like last Friday, but just don't see it happening. Could it happen after next year? If things don't get better. Sure. But I just, I don't see it happening. I don't know how you guys feel about it. No, I, I feel the exact same way. We're not going to get a coaching change this year. I, I think, honestly, I think they could bottom out and he'd still be back for another year. If I'm being completely honest, that's just me. Like, 
being way overly confident, but <laughs> that's where I'm at with it. Um, I think this is a conversation for next year if things don't turn around. I, I think right now Rod's going to at least get next season, if I had to guess. Totally agree. If you entered this season thinking there was any situation, unless if they don't own 12 or something and there was a riot within the EO and people came out and some tweets from people came out that maybe one thing, they're already three and three. They're a mediocre football team at this point. They have a chance at bull eligibility. If they get to six wins, even, even if they get to four wins, they get to five wins, there's a less than 1% chance of this happening. Unless, yeah, unless all of a sudden some somebody comes down from the rafters, hey, hey, I've been a Temple alum billionaire that cares about Temple Athletics and I've just never cared until this moment and decides to buy everybody out, not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions here. Next one comes from the screen name Joe D49. Temple football is in a difficult position because of conference realignment, NCAA rule changes such as it has in quotes, the portal, new transfer rules, and what appears to be an inept coach. What steps can be taken to revitalize the program? Guys? Man, I don't even know where to start about that. Um, conference realignment, I got nothing for you. I, I have no idea what's going to happen there. Um, that is just kind of like, I, I, I think people... I don't think Temple has as much agency as people think that they do. Um, there's a lot of like stuff that they have to consider. It's very much like an American conferencing. Like there is no, at least in my opinion, there's no version of this where Temple ends up in a power five conference. Like I like people are like, Oh, they should go to the big 12 or they should go to the ACC. Like, I don't think there's any, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know more about this than me, but like, I don't think there's any version of this where they end up anywhere other than the American, frankly, uh, unless they like actually like what the conference USA is pitching, which I highly doubt. Um, as for the transfer portal, uh, Temple fans seem to have this idea that they're, that this team was like disproportionately affected by the portal compared to other teams across the country. Um, they were not. I, honestly, they might have been a little bit more, but generally speaking, a lot of teams are seeing players transfer in and out um temple might have had a, a little bit more of a hit i'm not going to say that they didn't but like generally speaking there were a lot of other programs that a lot of guys transfer in and out some some programs did better than others temple obviously lost a ton of guys i get that but like they also brought in a lot of guys i think we're just gonna have to get used to it obviously you don't want to see the type of exodus that we saw last year every year that's obviously a problem but like guys coming and losing that's college football now that's what it's going to be like so I don't know. I, I think that honestly, this is a, a tad bit of an, just a tad bit of an overreaction, at least for me. But I think that obviously Temple needs to do a better job retaining some players. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to deny that. Um, and then for conference realignment, I, I don't, I don't know enough, honestly, to say where they're going to go or, or what that's going to end up be like. That's way outside of like my wheelhouse. So anybody that tells you they know what conference realignment is going to be like in 10 years is being full of shit to you. Like right. they're just making yeah. it up. Like, or they're overvaluing their own opinion on it. Like nobody knows there, there's going to be some brand new conference that replaces the sun belt or some crap that we've never even heard of transfer wise. I, I kind of disagree. I think Temple was hit harder than most schools, but maybe not the worst. The timing of it didn't help the fact that December of last year, it was just like this mass exodus instead of it being kind of a trickle effect. They kind of had to weather that blow to talk about his rule of the NCAA changes. I think Temple's in a better position now in, on October 13th, 2021, than they were December of last year. Last year, if you lost these kids, you could still only bring in 25 guys uh, per recruiting cycle. Now, if you lose seven kids to the transfer portal, you can bring in up to 32 kids in a recruiting cycle as long as seven, seven of them are like, 
I think seven of them have to be transferred, but at the very least, at the very least, it's directly related to the transfer portal. So in the event that there is another mass exodus, which some people on our boards like to hypothesize there will be, I'm sure there are going to be people leaving this program because there's people leaving programs every single year for the last 40 years. Um, Temple will have the ability to kind of utilize that transport, which I think they've done a pretty good job with of utilizing. Like Ahmad Anderson has shown flashes. Dwan Mathis has shown flashes. Keyshawn Paul has been an absolute hit. Cameron Ruiz feels like he's been a hit. Like they've utilized the transfer portal pretty well. They're going to have plenty more opportunities to utilize it. Yeah. I mean, I, and to try to not necessarily take things in a different direction, but even to just simplify it, what steps can be taken to revitalize the program? I, I keep going when? back to this. <laughs> Recruiting, yeah. like recruiting some good difference making offensive linemen and start winning some games. Like, I think Arthur Johnson made a very good, very simple point. Again, the, the, the people wanted Arthur Johnson and Jason Wingard to just win the press conference last week by coming out and saying, Yeah, we're going to get a brand new stadium. And yeah, we're going to be in the, in the Big 12 in a matter of weeks or the ACC in a matter of weeks. They're not going to say that. It's not realistic, even if it does happen at some point. No president, no athletic director are going to put themselves in a box like that just to say they won the press conference. And then a week or two later, people realize, oh, it might not happen. It's not smart. They have Arthur Johnson said, we have to be able to win in our current conference. I, I think any new athletic director, especially someone like Arthur Johnson, you need to come in, assess the game day experience, um, talk to people, talk to key stakeholders in this fan base, um, asking them about the game day experience, asking them about events like the season ticket holder event, like trying to reach out to a younger fan base and engaging your fan base. But again, I mean, winning cures a lot of that. And we know that they're never going to routinely sell out the link unless they're playing Notre Dame or unless they're playing Penn state, or maybe, you know, maybe there's a great conference game one year and, and you fill the lower bowl against UCF or a Memphis or, or uh, like a Boston college or Rutgers or, uh, you know, Oklahoma in a few years or whatever. But I, I mean, you, you have to win. And they have to, I know this sounds very, very cheeky and very like campy to say, but like you have to start getting better and showing some sort of toughness in the trenches and to see them just get blown off the ball like that goes against like the, the whole temple tough thing. Like Kyle uh, said, I was hoping you weren't going to say it. I know, but like, but, no, but, but Kyle said, like, they've got like, like Ahmad Anderson's fast. Like you can go and get some good skill position guys like you know you're not part of the crew offensive line because guess who else also needs good offensive linemen every single university in the nation sure but like <laughs> i mean to be honest and, and look at this like with cj perez not to go too far off cj perez they beat out florida state for him like they beat out a power five team for him that was that was before florida they, state yeah they're developing them like again like right you're not going to get again we know this this is so obvious if you're not going to get the Jamar Chases of the world and the and the Jalen Waddles of the world and the Devontae Smiths, but you can still get like they've got guys that can run fast and catch the ball. I mean, yes, Jaden Blue has taken some steps back, but you get a guy like a Randall Jones, you get like a guy like a, a Robbie Anderson, a guy like Keith Kirkwood, who's a you can stick on an NFL roster, but they have to start moving people up front. If not, this this staff is not, it's just not gonna work for them. So they have to win in their current conference. And I if I'm if I'm them, which I'm obviously not doing just a complete SWOT analysis of what's working, what's not working in that department, assessing the game day experience, assessing, you know, assessing the fan experience. I think little things like that can help energize the, the fan base to revitalize it, but they have to win in their current conference. Last question here uh, to close out a, a long but productive episode. Again, we want to thank Jimmy Farney for his time here um, earlier in the show, closing out again with a, another football question here. 
Uh, question is from Diamond and Broad on the message board. Did this team and Dewan Mathis in particular quit in the second half against Cincinnati? Um, I don't think so. I don't know if quit is the right. I don't, I don't think Dewan quit. I, I think that, you know, people forget that these players are people sometimes. If you're Dewan, right, like you cannot be sitting there in the third quarter down, you know, 40 to three or whatever the heck it was at that point. You've been hit all game. You've been chased all game. Nobody's open down the field. You can't run the football. I mean, you're just getting, it's a Friday night game. You're just getting battered. He's going to be a little bit frustrated. I, I like, I, I think that there is same, you know, everyone wants quarterbacks to be these like stoic, like old, you know, guys who don't show any emotion. It's like, that is just not realistic, especially when talking about younger college quarterbacks. I don't think he quit on the team. I think he got frustrated and he unraveled a little bit. The mm -hmm. interception that he threw was not on the offensive line. I'm sorry. There was no version of that play where that was a completion. So like mm -hmm. did he unravel a little bit. Yes. But did he quit on the team? I don't think so. Absolutely not. Um, so I, and I don't think the team quit either. I just think that they are quite frankly, just outmatched like that. They're just not competitive enough to put up a legitimate fight against Cincinnati. Um, and I think that that was especially disappointing because they came off a game in Memphis. That was like probably their best game of the season, at least after they were down 17, nothing, um, you know, where they looked really good. Everything was humming. Juan was not touched the entire game against Memphis. They didn't have a sack. I'm not even sure they had a QB pressure off the top of my head. Like they might have one or two. Um, and you come into this game, you have all that momentum and you just come out flat again. Like, <laughs> like I don't, and you just make bad, uh, you know, mistakes and, I don't think they quit. I just think they were outmatched. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I could say it much better than that. So again, Temple plays again on October 3rd, uh, excuse me, October 23rd at USF down in Tampa. Obviously a big game for them, a winnable game. Um, and then you've got after that, they're, they're home uh, against UCF and they go down to East Carolina. Uh, they host Houston on November 13th, then close things out. Uh, uh, no, excuse me. Uh, the second to last game of the season is at Tulsa. Tulsa's playing USF this weekend. And then they close things out in Annapolis on November 27th. Uh, oh, sorry. That one's at home against uh, against Navy. Could not have butchered that schedule anymore. But again, <laughs> do, do they win a couple more games here? Do they win, you know, three out of their next six games down the stretch and get bowl eligible? Um, I think it's certainly possible. I think we could be looking at the same question. They, they, they are a six and six at the end of the season. Are they uh, an up and coming six and six? Or are they, uh, boy, they were really gassed and and just with leaks all over the place, six and six at the end of the season. Um, I, I keep coming back to the offensive line. They've got their work cut out for them. Uh, we'll see what happens. Again, thanks for sticking with us. I know this was a long episode, a pre-packed episode. Again, thanks, big thanks to uh, to, to Jimmy Fannerty. Uh Sam had to run out to class, but it was fun to have a full house again with Dante, Sam, and Kyle. We will look forward to talking to you guys next week. Take care.